When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. Just like your family treats you, find your health family at NorthMemorial.com slash family. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Um, I think there's some plays he wanted. He'd rather get back. Um, you know, I don't think we helped him a lot today. That was Mike Zimmer's assessment of Kirk Cousins. Usually, the less he says about Kirk Cousins, the more unhappy he is with the performance. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels, both of us yesterday were in Kansas City at Arrowhead Stadium. I have another wound from watching a game with Sage after I was attacked. When Kirk Cousins slid two yards short of a first down on third down, I was hit with a hat which I believe breaks press box decorum rules, Sage. Well, it was a very frustrating play. Yes, I, it was. At least I, I, took, I didn't throw the hat at you. I actually I took it off my head, and I guess I, I hit it with you know hit it with, hit you with the hat. I would call it a smack. Uh, I was smacked. That was a frustrating play. And I, did I hit you on the, uh, the, the pass interference on Treadwell that ended up being called back, the offensive pass? I feel like I hit you on that one, too, or something. Or maybe I just yelled in the press box or no, something. I, I don't I know. I think you did. It's very quiet um, up there. You, you did make quiet. contact. There was contact. I looked at the replay review. We reviewed it. We sent it to New York. Alberto Riveron said you did make contact with me after that play. And there was another one when Stefan Diggs was super, super wide open, which you also may have. Or maybe maybe that was another game. There, but, there, uh, it was a frustrating was. game uh, all around. And you know, in particular, offensively, it was frustrating. And, and uh, the O-line didn't play well. Kirk didn't play well. Uh, you know, being five of fifteen on third downs, not going to get it done, and you're know, running the football. I really expected there to be more than four rushing first downs in the game by the Vikings. Yep, and uh, it's you know, and the quarterback you know throws for fifty percent, and you know, thirty eight passes for two hundred and twenty yards. Uh, you know, that's not very good as far as your yards per attempt and, and those types of things. And so, and it seemed like a lot of those yards came on screens, to be honest with you. Those yep. are the, probably the best plays the Vikings ran yesterday, something that we talked about a lot last year. They should run more of, and they've had a lot of success on those things. But you got to have a quarterback that can throw down the field and, and make plays to your receivers. And, and uh, they were not uh, hitting them yesterday. And, uh, and because of that, the Vikings lost a game that I think 
they should have won. They were the better, in my opinion, they were the better football team. They did not play better, but they were the better football team yesterday. They're going against the Chiefs and Matt Moore, you know, their backup quarterback who's been on the team for, for two months. And, uh, and, and the Chiefs made the plays down the stretch when it mattered most. So I, I have a list of potential overreactions. I made them in my long drive back from Kansas City this morning. And so uh, if I'm a little edgy, Sage, it's because I woke up at 5 and drove 6 hours today. So forgive me. Um, but uh, we, I wrote down potential overreactions to the loss. Because every time the Vikings lose, of course, we end up debating... $84 million, Kirk Cousins, can he ever win? Is this a real contender? I saw USA Today, our friend Stephen Ruiz, called the Vikings frauds and said that they are not a Super Bowl contender. He called them a full team of Kirk Cousinses, like good players but not great, which I don't think is really true. I think they have some great players. But the point is just that the world's reaction to every Vikings loss is the sky has fallen and we're all dead. So I, I want I, I to think- run a few things by you. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. I, go ahead I think everyone has. I think a lot of people nationally have very high expectations of the Vikings, despite yeah. the fact they went eight and seven and one last year. Yeah. So you know, I but I think people look at them as this team that a couple of years ago made this run, and now they should be Super Bowl contenders because they've signed all these guys back, and they should be there you know, on paper or whatever you want to call it. They should have this talented group that is making a push in the NFC to possibly compete with, you know, the, the Saints and, uh, you know, the 49ers, but th- they don't seem to be there. And uh, they, they have some weaknesses, and, and when it's bad, it's really bad, it seems like. It does seem a bit of a roller coaster. And I, and I try not to come in here, you know, on, on Mondays and, and when they lose that everything's terrible, when they, when they win, everything is great. I try not to do that. But it does seem like when they lose, the O-line and Kirk play poorly you know average to poor and they and that cannot happen in the nfl you just can't have a quarterback not play well you can't have an o-line not play well if you expect to win they have to play at least good they don't have to play great but at least good and i think it's a fundamental football thing and i'll get to the overreactions in a second but i think it's a fundamental football thing whether you talk to people who played in the nfl or you talk to nfl coaches or nfl fans the person who's sitting in the very last seat at arrowhead stadium who we were above in that press conference i think that is the uh, highest up I have ever been in my life is uh, amazing. All the way there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I took a picture view. during the game and put it on Twitter yesterday. Incredible view, and uh, and I was lucky in the fourth quarter. My son was sitting in the fifteenth row in the lower level. I went down for the fourth quarter and got to see the end from the field, and that was a great experience too. So I got the best of both worlds yesterday. But yeah, that press box, that view was was uh, absolutely phenomenal. But but something that the anyone in the stands or us in the press box or the coaches down on the sideline knows is when you talk about what you expect out of good quarterbacks and and great quarterbacks is when you get the ball at the end of the game with a chance to go win and you do it. And this Minnesota Vikings team since signing Kirk Cousins has just not done that. I mean there have been numerous opportunities over the last 2 years to say, you know what, we're going to go win this thing. We're, we're, we're taking home a W tonight no matter what because we've got an opportunity here. And it hasn't happened. And yesterday when you have two shots at it for Cousins and you come away with nine yards on one drive and minus seven on the other, so six plays, two yards, and two punts in your big opportunities to go win, 
it's very much reflective on the guy getting the ball. I mean, a lot of times quarterbacks will tell you, hey, you know, the win-loss record has a lot to do with who you play, who plays around you, all those things. But if there's one particular moment that you can isolate and say, hey, this is on you, go win this game, that's the situation. And it's if it was just yesterday, I might say, hey, look, the guy's playing great this year. These things happen. But in Green Bay, he throws the pick, loses the game. In Kansas City, he can't move the offense at all. They punt it away. They lose the game. And there's so much of that that it's hard not to look directly at one person and say, man, what would our record be if you just maybe handed it to Delvin or threw it out of bounds or handled that situation right? What would our record be if you could lead a drive to the other 30, which is not a high expectation for a quarterback against a defense that is not super, super good? And that's where I think that the criticisms of Cousins are very much fair. Yeah, it, it's the crunch time stuff. And, and we talked about, uh, we've talked about multiple times, you know, Kirk Cousins, he, when I need a good Kirk Cousins, it's in the red zone. Uh, it's at the end of the halves. You know, it's on third down. It's those plays, the first and second down plays. A lot of quarterbacks can do a pretty good job on those plays. It's how does he do on third down? How does he do in the red zone? How does he do at the end of, you know, first half and second half? And I think I saw the stat in the last two years when the Vikings have been losing going into the fourth quarter, they are 0-10-1. Yeah. Yep. He has not one time brought this team from losing by three points or two points or five points to come back and take the lead and win the game in two years, in a year and a half now. It just has not happened. Again, we, we, we don't want to blame everything on the quarterback, but that's just a fact. And that did happen before. That did happen when Case Keenum was here, or even when Sam Bradford was here. There were some games where they were losing and, and came in back in the fourth quarter and won, and it has not happened. And we have many times discussed, you know, how, how do we judge Kirk and his performance and, you know, the signing and all these things. Uh, but it's for those moments. Um, it's for, you know, to, that was the, like, you know, he's the guy to get us over the hump and yep. the guy, you know, that, that means like to win those close ball games, uh, and to take a, you know, nine or 10 win team and make it a 12 win team. And they can win that tight playoff game because we're going to be losing sometimes. And we've been waiting for that to just happen. And it just continually doesn't happen. And that is the most concerning thing about that is that the, the, the pattern is so long now. That, you know, we're like, we're hoping he, you know, there's a game where they're behind by 10 and they go in the fourth quarter and Kirk says, all right, guys, I'm going to carry us on the back. Let's go do this thing. And, and they go two minute drill and he's up and down and, and, you know, brings the Vikings back. And all right, that's why we got him. And we, we haven't seen it yet. So and, uh, if we, it's discouraging. if we go through the last two years and just look at him as a Minnesota Viking under similar circumstances, uh, at Los Angeles, he plays a great game on the road, prime time has the ball in his hands with a chance to go tie, and is strip-sacked because he did not step up in the pocket. And then we have... Which, which, again, which you can blame on the offensive line, and that's where a lot of times things go. It's like, mm-hmm. well, but the O-line's bad, right? So anyway, continue. Well, uh, right, and, and that seems to be a persistent theme, even though there's been improvements on the offensive line. If it's even... If it's even not good enough for one game, it seems like it's just over because of that, and that shouldn't be what happens with your franchise quarterback. So you had Los Angeles, that happens. In Chicago, gets the ball back, and they've got a chance to go tie the game. Late, he throws a pick six. They have the ball uh, late with a chance to go beat Seattle, and he's is strip-sacked. And the Seattle takes it in for a touchdown, or to go tie Seattle, he strips sack, takes it in for a touchdown. They lose twenty-one to seven. And then this year, 
Green Bay. He ends up throwing it away. And then yesterday picks up a total of two yards on six plays. And those are the games where he legitimately had a chance at that. Not that they were like being blown out. So that 0-10-1 stat, well, they were being blown out in a lot of those cases. The only time where he has come through was his second game as a Minnesota Viking against the Green Bay Packers. And even in that game, he was bailed out by a call where he actually threw an interception, but then the refs flagged Clay Matthews. So there even was sort of that Kirk moment, but it got washed away. And he was great in that game. I wouldn't take anything away from him in that game. So it is possible, especially with his talent level, to do it. And I think that that would be the area that would be most frustrating to Vikings fans about seeing what he did yesterday was this guy was capable of putting up all these yards and having all this success over the last four weeks against these teams that aren't that great. And then you go and play the team that is great and you're matching up for them. It's not like Kansas City ran them out of the building. You're going back and forth and it's a tough game. It's an ugly game. And all right, now the ball is in the hands of your $84 million quarterback, your franchise guy, go in a game. And instead, the guy who was retired a few months ago, He's the one that leads the game-winning drive. That is a tough pill to swallow. And that was my my first overreaction, Sage, to to ask you about. Is is it an overreaction to say, I just don't think it's going to happen with this quarterback that he is going to be the guy you can trust at any point with the ball in his hands late when you need a, a big scoring drive. Well, and there was times they were ahead yesterday at the end of that game, and you know they have a chance to not go up two scores, and uh, you know things don't. That does not happen. And you know then the the Chiefs end up tying the game up, and then obviously taking that lead at the end. Yeah, Matt Moore, you know he's got a. I don't know what was that was that was that third and or second and like twenty four or something like yesterday, and and he hits a, a Travis Kelsey on a dagger route. What a tough throw. And I went back and rewatched the whole game this morning. Matt Moore really moves around the pocket well. I mean, he got sacked a couple times, and he fumbled too. But he really does sort of help out his offensive line a lot of times and moves around that pocket, just little subtle movements. And he did that on the uh, on, on the throw to Kelsey yesterday. And, uh, and that was a huge, huge play in the game. That was a clutch, clutch, clutch play. That play means 10 times as much in the fourth quarter at that moment than it does in the first quarter. And that's where stats sort of lie, you know, because they're all sort of treated the same. But those yards and at that moment really mattered. And then he comes back on the very next play, Vikings all-out blitz, uh, which you got it's not a surprise they did that. And uh, in my opinion, Anthony Harris was way too far off. And actually, I'd say Xavier Rhodes was too far off his guy as well. Uh, and they sort of gave him that short, quick throw. And that's usually what's going to happen on an all-out blitz. Uh, you know, we'll get into this maybe at some point, but uh, Anthony Harris is, is about 10 yards off, 8, 10 yards off. And it's, it's you know, third and four, whatever it was. And, and uh, you got to be right up on them. You got to make them uh, hold on the ball just for a second, so your guys can get to the quarterback before he can throw it. And so uh, then he misses the tackle, and you know, boom, in field goal range. So Matt Matt Moore clutch yesterday on two huge plays. And when, when you thought just when you thought they were out of field goal range, and the Vikings got lucky with the fumble, uh, he comes up huge. And and Kirk again has not done that. Uh, in his time at the Vikings, and really hasn't done it too many times in his time in Washington before that. Yeah, and it's part of the conversation is you expect that your quarterback, who is your franchise guy that you paid for to bring here and be above average, will be able to overcome when things don't go right for him, when Pat Elfline is 
picked up and driven straight back into you, uh, that you have some pocket presence and you can find a way out of that and make a play. You expect that you can overcome when there's a penalty. Like Matt Moore. We're talking about Matt Moore here. And you, you know my feelings on journeyman, Sage, but it's Matt Moore. It's not. Yeah. This was well, not he a, Patrick he's not, Mahomes. A, he's not a journeyman. He's only got three teams. So yeah, not, that, not that's right. Journeyman. He needs the fourth team. But that's the right. way he's played here, he'll probably get it. Um, with, with Matt Moore... You're talking about a guy who overcame a fumble by his special teams, who overcame a late drive that put the other team ahead. And wait, we're talking about now Chase Daniel overcomes some things early in that game where, you know, the the Vikings defense is playing well, but he's moving it down the field and things like that. So Chase Daniel beats them. And now we're talking about Matt Moore beating them. And neither quarterback played some crazy, wild, amazing, outrageous game. They they played well, both of them. But when they outduel your starting quarterback that you paid all the money for, I I I think that you walk away from that and probably the 30% of the stadium that was in purple yesterday walked away going did that just really happen? And 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 I don't think that's an overreaction. I don't I don't think it's an overreaction to walk away and go, is this quarterback ever going to get that moment or or get that game where it's on the line and he brings us back to win or he does something majestic, makes a great throw down the field or something against a good team because he just hasn't been able to do it. It just doesn't. And But Matt Moore did that yesterday. Again, not the, not just those two plays. He hits uh, Tyreek Hill down the right sideline, gets pressure in the pocket. And by the way, you know, Kirk was getting some pressure yesterday right up the middle. That was where the Vikings really lost uh, on the offensive line in, in pass blocking. It was right up the middle. Uh, either guard, center, uh, all three uh, from time to time you know, got beaten. But sometimes there would just be a little push in Kirk's face and, and it would cause him to sort of short arm it and the ball would sail and, and go over a lot of the guys' heads. Same thing happened to Matt Moore and he throws a strike uh, to Tyreek Hill for a huge play uh, late, late in that ball game in the fourth quarter yesterday. So, um, yeah, there's you have to hit the also you have to hit the guys that are open. That's mm-hmm. another thing we yeah. saw yesterday. I, yeah. I don't know. Was it four balls to the flat? At least three, maybe four balls to the flat were wildly overthrown uh, yesterday by, by Kirk. I don't know what that is all about, but they were. I mean, a couple of them were four yards over. Uh, it was Ham's head or or one of the you know the, even the touchdown pass to Abdullah. He really got up in the air and went and snagged that sucker uh, and, and before he walked in the end zone. So there were some inaccuracy issues yesterday. You know, the first drive to start off the game. You know, I, I'm sure you and I were both thinking like, okay, poor rush defense. Vikings are going to hammer the ball. They're going to run the ball, you know, which is what they've been doing, and they go three straight passes in a row. And you go back and look at first play, 300 jet X slant was spacing. That was the first play of the game, or X hitch was spacing. Uh, uh, Diggs was not open. Rudolph was not open. Uh, Adam Thielen was wide open, and uh, and Kirk is on Rudolph too long and ends up missing Thielen and, and throws an inaccurate wide route uh, to, to Dalvin Cook. And so we're 0 for 1, and the next was, the, uh, was a bootleg play, which I believe he had a legit chance to throw it about 60 yards down the field to uh, to Stephon Diggs, who I, I believe had a step. I could. That's one nice thing about that press box. Man, you can really oh, see. Oh, yeah, you can see everything. Uh, everything. And, uh, and I thought he had it, and I was one sure if he had enough time, went back 
back and watch it today, I think you know an Aaron Rodgers or a, a Russell Wilson flips his hips and lets it go, uh, and they make that throw. He didn't, and then he comes down as a check down, which is fine, uh, to Thielen and wildly misses him again, and it's an incomplete pass. Now we got third and ten. You know, I mean, uh, it, it was a, it was a bad start and it was a bad finish, and and the quarterback has to play better. And again, he's got to get some more more help from that offensive line as well. Yeah, no, for sure. And and this is the debate that always rages on is like how much of it was Kirk Cousins' fault? It's it's never always the quarterback's fault. Never in any NFL game that's ever happened has it always been the quarterback's fault. But great quarterbacks make everyone else better. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like they sort of find a way to make people around them better. I mean, I feel like the Chargers are like, they always have like four offensive linemen who are injured or something like (laughs) that, right? Yes. And somehow like that quarterback just sort of grinds it out and, and, and keeps fighting and keeps moving. And, and, you know, you always feel like you have a chance to win. And, you know, they went and played and beat the Packers yesterday. No one thought they were going to win that game yesterday. Uh, but, you know, Philip Rivers sort of, you know, has that, has that, you know, the guys believe in him, uh, that they're going to, uh, you know, come back and win a game or whatever. And, and, uh, it, it's just not happening. And it's frustrating because you're, it's like we're hoping it's going to happen. We believe it's going to happen, but it, it's not happening. And, uh, and, and I, I, I do not know what the vice what they do going from from here other than just you know try to play better i don't know if they uh i i can't imagine them you know changing any of their philosophy they just have to to, to play better and I, I you know with this quarterback and that's just the way it is matthew collar sage rosenfels you listen to purple daily here going to continue the overreactions so we started with kirk cousins is it an overreaction to freak out about the number of times it's been big games especially on the road where he has that look to him and it's bad kirk showing up and you know from the very start as you broke down there with missing a read and missing a throw and and there was a feeling right away of tension with Cousins, and I don't think that it is an overreaction for Vikings fans to be really concerned, but I want to ask you about the defense. Let's... Well, by the way, by the way, three plays into the game, you and I looked at each other and we were like, oh no. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. This might be the bad Kirk. This might be the bad Kirk, that's right. You knew right away, and it has happened, I don't know how many times, with Cousins. Week 17 last year felt that exact same way. Um, so I don't think it's at all an overreaction. If you're walking out of that stadium in Arrowhead or you're shutting the TV off after that game and saying, this is going to happen in the playoffs. Like This is going to happen in a Week 17 game for the NFC North, potentially, or something like that. And that's the expectation now for Vikings fans is when the situation is big that he's not going to come through. I don't think that's an overreaction because we have a body of work. The defense, though, we need to discuss next. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels. You'll listen to Purple Daily on Score North. North Memorial Health has over 400 care providers. That's right, more than 400 care providers and more than 6,000 team members that are dedicated to keeping you healthy. North Memorial Health is proud to partner with the Minnesota Vikings as they work to make Minnesota the healthiest in the league. They're more than a team at North Memorial Health. They're your family. At North Memorial Health, customers are treated like family. Your health family is more than a tagline. It's a commitment to delivering unmatched customer service. That means a big smile when you walk in the door. That means making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It means asking, what else can we do for you? North Memorial Health will treat you like family in a good way. The people at North Memorial Health will team up with you to help you achieve your best health. So step up your health care game today and find your health family at northmemorial.com family. Once again, that's northmemorial.com family. Well, the one on the far sideline uh, at the end of the game, I thought we should have made the play. We were there. The one early was a double move that uh, we didn't play very good. And then uh, 
you know, the tight end when Kelsey caught the ball on the on the inside breaking route late, uh, we should have. We were in good position. We just didn't make the play. Mike Zimmer there, back here on Purple Daily. Mike Zimmer talking with uh, the media as we spoke there in the. And it seemed like he was continuing to be very frustrated as he was yesterday. I mean, his demeanor was um, very much annoyed. And you could see why from a lot of different perspectives. But it starts with his defense. And uh, my experience, Sage, is that when the offense fails, Mike Zimmer will have a lot more to say post game than when the defense fails because he is mad. And uh, I, I think that he's justified in being upset about how some plays went down. I also think that this defense should not have been expected to be number one in the NFL because that's how defenses work in the league. Like you have one number one one year, and then a year or two later, you're nowhere close. And that's the Bears. From last year, the Bears are unbelievable on defense. And then the next year, they're just pretty good. And that is basically what we're looking at with the Vikings, that opposing teams can come up with game-winning drives. They can move the ball. Uh, the Vikings do not get very many turnovers. And we are looking at a defense, in my mind, Sage, and this is where you could tell me if I'm overreacting. You're looking at much more of a fringe top 10 defense than a dominant number one defense who can carry you if your offense doesn't show up. Well, in, in a good offense, you know, one that's not five of fifteen on third downs and stays on the field helps the defense. I mean, right. that's sort of how it goes, right? So when the Vikings had that great year a couple of years ago, their offense stayed on the field more. Uh, they were better on third downs when Teddy was here before that, a few years before that, and, and their good season, the same same sort of thing. And the defense was like, man, this defense is great. Well, they're more rested. The team has fewer attempts, you know, fewer chances at, at moving the football. All those types of things add up to a a better defense and Vikings not say the offense is not helping the defense, but you know, the reason they don't create turnovers is because they play, they play a lot of defenses, but mostly they play either straight up man to man or they play what I would say some sort of cover four, which in cover four, it's four guys deep, basically the two corners and the safeties. Uh, and the underneath guys are basically man to man. They are chasing. They, they have to cover a lot of space because there's only three guys basically down there. And so there's this, this sort of man technique, even though you call it a zone coverage. So, Everyone is always chasing and not always looking back at the quarterback on those traditional, you know, the old Tampa two teams, but also the teams that play a lot of cover three. You know, everyone drops to their spot and they're not really matching the offensive personnel and they're still continuing to look back at the quarterback and read the quarterback and drive on the football. And so you break on balls and, and, and often there's tip passes and more guys have eyes on it to catch those things instead of, again, chasing and have you sort of your back to the quarterback and not look at the quarterback. So that, that's the reason they, it's like their, their style of defense does not help with, with the turnovers. So, um, but is that, that, does that make sense? No, that, that absolutely makes sense. Uh, my question, the follow up was going to be, should the Vikings then try to be even more aggressive because they have the personnel to make plays? Is there, I mean, is there a case to be made that they should go out and try to take more risks because opposing teams are getting yards on them? They're getting 11, 12, 13 play drives pretty consistently. And since Case Keenum was able to do it the first half, since Matt Stafford was able to do yeah. it, since these quarterbacks who are good down the field are taking advantage of Trey Wayne's one on one, I mean, should we be talking about, hey, 
Can you try even harder to take risks that might pay off or they might hurt you, but you're kind of getting hurt anyway? Well, I, I think that in man coverage, the Vikings are getting beat. They're getting beaten man coverage uh, more than they should, and that's supposed to be their specialty. That's why they draft the high corners. Uh, the corners in the first round is because they play so much man, and uh, both Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes, and uh, they're getting beat a lot in man coverage, and, and good tight ends will beat sometimes a safety or, or a linebacker in man coverage as well. So you know their favorite type of defense uh, isn't uh, isn't dominant. Is not is sort of not their strength. I wonder if they'll go back to a little bit. More more forms of zone or try to blitz but then maybe play some zone behind it so those corners aren't left out to dry because they're not having uh you know some of the success they had in the past we talked about xavier time and time again on this show he just just doesn't have that speed to keep up with the really fast guys he's good at the jam and he's good sort of playing cover too because he's sort of up in there and he has help over top but but he's been struggling And, and trey wayne's some games he seems like he plays well. Then other games like this one, he got beat a couple times. And, and one was a double move as a hitch and go, and the other one was uh, just a straight go route. And, and he was there, but, again, you know, didn't make the play, and Tyreek Hill uh, made that play. So it, it's tough when you are a defense that's designed around having great corners, which is why you draft great corners, but then the corners aren't playing great. Yeah, makes no, everybody no, else that's right. Good. That's right, and the way that I described it, uh, earlier today was a domino effect. And, and just thinking, if you don't have Rhodes playing the same way as he used to as an island corner, then you have to help Rhodes. And if you're helping Rhodes, you're taking away from helping Waynes. And then the weaknesses get exposed, which seems to be what opposing teams are doing. The Vikings rank right now 19th in opposing quarterback rating. So how well the quarterbacks are playing in terms of rating against them. Just ahead of them is the New York Jets. Just behind them is the Detroit Lions. And that's pretty concerning. I think. I, I also don't think that's an overreaction either to say, you know, when two backup quarterbacks can beat you and other teams have moved the ball pretty consistently through the air on you and you have the 19th best quarterback rating against, it's pretty hard to say as we go down the stretch here and Russell Wilson is coming, Dak Prescott's no joke, you have Aaron Rodgers still on the way, that you have to rely on the offense going toe-to-toe with these other good quarterbacks because the Vikings' defense is just not going to completely shut these teams down as they have in the past. And, by the way, the, the two backup quarterbacks who have played well, Chase Daniel and now Matt Moore, these are veteran guys, been around the league a long time, and Mike Zimmer's been around the league a long time. His defense uh, has not changed a ton. They, you know, they play a lot. This man, they play a lot of, you know, this, that cover four, as I was saying before, and um, you know, they do that double a gap, you know, zone blitz thing, and and which can be hard for guys. But when you've been around it a long time. You know, it's much more. It's, it's not a defense that's super hard to recognize what's going on. You know, they sort of show your hand a little bit, but uh, and, and a lot of defenses do that, and, that, and that's just fine. So I think the veteran guys aren't struggling with, you know, maybe the, like that that double A gap stuff or. Or you know maybe some of the things that uh, you know Harrison Smith is trying to do, where he's down and then he runs back at the snap to get to his spot and cover two or whatever. That's not confusing some of these veteran guys, these backup guys, uh, because they've seen it and it's not you know it doesn't change all that much. It sort of is what it is. So uh, tell me, overreaction or no? I mean, I, I think it's not an overreaction to say this defense is going to be much They're more not a dominant top defense. 10. Yeah. They're not a dominant defense. I, yeah, I, I, you know, I could put them somewhere around tenth. You know, you know, stats are one thing, and then it's like okay. 
you know, I mean, I like this defense. I, I think they do a lot of things well. I love the way the DNs are playing, uh, and I, I love the way the linebackers are playing. And, and up until yesterday, I thought the safeties had been playing really, really well, and they didn't have their best game either. The weakness has sort of been the corners, and the corners got you know exposed pretty well. And a backup quarterback who was out of the league for over a year had a 105 quarterback rating, and uh, and that's a team thing. But in particular, that's it's usually on those cornerbacks. All right, let me give you the next one here. Um, is it an overreaction to look at the Vikings medical staff and say, um, why was Adam Thielen out there if he was questionable and limited this week and if he was in a position to re-aggravate his hamstring like he did on Sunday? That might be the ultimate hindsight of the results, but I think that when you're the medical staff, the results matter the most, and especially since they went through this with Delvin Cook last year and the pitch counts, and we're going to play him this many snaps, and then he re-aggravated his hamstring, that I, I think it's worth... Uh, discussing whether we should be criticizing the medical staff for putting him back out there. I'm not. I, you know, this is what the, the you know the those know, guys and gals. I'm not sure they have any females in that room in the train staff room, but you know they, they know a lot more about this than I do. Uh, they've been doing this all their lives, and they do the best job they can. And sometimes they guess wrong. You know, I had a situation. I think it was about 2007, and I had pulled uh, my quad muscle in a practice, and and I we're, we're, we're playing, and it's like two weeks later we're playing in Oakland, and you know I'm, I, I practiced all week, and you know it felt better, uh, and, and you know warmed up before the game felt good. And you, you're going pretty quick and trying to sort of test it, and. First play of the game, rerun a bootleg, and I pull that, repull the hamstring because the, there's game speed is just a whole different deal. Mm-hmm. And when you're so hyped up and all those things, you just you know you just go. Your body is just more intense, and you, you, I think you go you know faster. You, you know that fully hundred percent thing, and bam, first play of the game. And now I've somehow sort of made it through the game. Uh, we didn't call any more bootlegs the rest of the game, uh, but uh, you know there's nothing like actually being out there, and you know. At the end of the day, it's a little bit Adam Thielen's decision. Like he's the only one who really knows. I mean, I can say, yeah, it hurts a little bit here, but I, th- I mean, it's Adam Thielen's you know final decision, in my opinion. And and you know the, the trainers do the best job they can. And you know I'm not going to put any of that on on Shugs and the crew. I, I think those guys do a pretty good job. Well, I, and I appreciate the job that they have, and I understand limited knowledge of Adam Thielen's hamstring. That they would know a lot more than I do. I, I think that the parallel to what happened last year with Delvin. Cook would make me wonder uh, since they kind of messed with that one and put him out early and that ended up biting them I wondered if they would be more patient with this one and they weren't yeah and and maybe they will be from you know here on out so you know I think they they try to take everything in a case-by-case basis and you know you think of like the you know was the NBA uh was the finals when um uh, Golden State when he tore his Achilles, but he was having yeah. some pain in it earlier. And, you know, whose fault was Kevin that? Kevin Durant, yes. Kevin Durant, yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's sort of like that. The, the, the real problem is, well, it's two things. It's one, the Vikings are down a, a player. So now they're playing with 45 instead of 46. And obviously they're down a receiver and one of their best players. But, you know, they could have had somebody else signed up from the practice squad or or dressed somebody else instead of him. So that that's that hurts for that game. And then the fact that you're probably, you know, it's not going to help him play the following week. 
uh, you know, when you, when you need to pull something, maybe another, uh, you know, week of, of total rest and, and, and rehab would have helped it. So it's sort of a, you know, it, it's really twofold. It's for that game and possibly the next game. You know, we'll, we'll see if Adam plays down in Dallas this, this Sunday. And how much of a problem do we think that's going to be if he doesn't? Um, this wasn't on my overreaction list, but it's sort of an offshoot of, okay, you know, Stephon Diggs is a true number one receiver in my mind and has proven that over and over again. And from my eyeball, he was certainly open on a number of occasions yesterday and could have had a much bigger day with some throws in his direction. Um, so he can handle what they throw at him. And B.C. Johnson's a nice player. They have other weapons. It's just not the same when they don't have Adam Thielen in there, and I think we did start to see that yesterday. Yes, you know, I cannot believe they he had one catch for four yards yesterday. Yeah. I mean, when he is the number one guy, I mean, it's him this, and Thielen. This is a future overreaction, so don't yeah, go crazy. Yeah, I mean, uh, that that shocked me. Yeah, me that, too. Uh, you know, I said they they have one A and one B. You know, and and Stefan's been super hot lately. And then he goes into this game, and and one A is is out after the first uh, series, and then he gets one catch for four yards the whole game. Like that, that completely blows my mind um, that you know somehow they you know you got to think that m- more of the reads when they were you know this reads going to be Adam first that those were would flip and go to Stefan Diggs first and so that that was very surprising in the game and and I'm looking forward to watching the the coaches sort of coverage and see if you know they were doubling him a lot and just going to take him away uh, but uh, you know Adam Thielen is such a good player it really does hurt this football team when he's not there I like what BC Johnson's doing as a, as a seventh round guy, as a rookie. Uh, I, you know, Laquan Treadwell had obviously a, a really nice game yesterday. Uh, and, you know, that, that's, you know, that's stepping it up when your team needs it. I'm going to give him props for that. He stepped it up yesterday when his team needed him. Uh, but those guys are not Adam Thielen. And he is a special player. He's a special player in the red zone. He has a way of getting open. He's special on third downs. He makes the quarterback better. And, uh, if he doesn't play this week, that is a big blow to the Vikings offense. All right, let's take a break, and let's circle back to Stephon Diggs. Not specifically about him, but what I want to know is, did the Chiefs figure something out against the Vikings offense? We're going to discuss going through the potential reactions and overreactions uh, from yesterday's Vikings 26-23 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels. We'll be right back. Here you listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. The Score North Podcast Network consists of more than a dozen shows from Purple Daily and Raised by Wolves to the Scoop with Doogie and Royce Unchained. You can find a full list of these Minnesota sports podcasts over at scorenorth.com, the free Score North mobile app, or search Score North, S K O R North, anywhere you find your podcasts. Adam Thielen returned to active duty this week, and it didn't last long. It was about seven plays before he was back out of the lineup again. And Mike Zimmer addressing the media today when asked about. When his return will be, said this. I'm not sure, honestly. Uh, whenever the doctor says he's ready. Yeah, not a bright outlook there for Adam Thielen. Vikings fans, he's got, we've got two weeks until the bye week, and then we'll see what happens there. That's been your Score North Download. Now back to the final segment of the first hour, Purple Daily.
Thank you, Jonathan. Back here, Purple Daily, Matthew Collar and Sage Rosenfels. And, uh, okay, Sage, so before the break, we were talking about how, um, you know, Stephon Diggs was shut down yesterday. And we had broken down the offense and the things that worked for the offense uh, over and over and over. The bootlegs, the play actions, getting the run going with Delvin Cook. And yesterday, very little of that worked. And I want to know what percentage was Kansas City just playing good football. Because, I mean, they don't have bums on their uh, on their defense. Chris Jones is a great, great player. And uh, Tyron Matthews is a great player, too. So it's not like they've got nobody. How much of it was them making plays and being good and just playing really well in their home stadium? And how much was it Steve Spagnolo dialing up things that seemed to take away those play actions and bootlegs and the big plays from the Vikings? Well, that defense played well yesterday, and in, in particular, the inside guys were really, really good. Uh, the Vikings didn't get much pressure on the outside, and I thought the tackles played pretty well in, in the run game, too, and the pass game. But the inside, that was sort of the mismatch of the day and something that surprised me. Uh, I didn't realize that they'd be, they'd be that good. Tyron uh, Mathow. Mathow? Matthew. 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 Just like me, the except honey for ba- different. The honey badger. Um He's really good, mm-hmm. and I, for some reason, have not watched a ton of him in the past and, and really dissected him, but he's a really good player, and he he can be – sometimes he plays like that nickel will position where he's like the slot corner, like where Mackenzie Alexander plays. Sometimes he plays in just straight-up man-to-man coverage, uh, and obviously he plays like safety, plays deep as well. So he is a multi-sort of facet player. You know, on that screen at the end of the game uh, that the Vikings lost, what, five or six yards to, to Irv Smith, on that play, the Vikings were in a slot formation with tight ends on the right and left side. Uh, and Irv Smith was the, the one on the left side and the screen up going to him. Well, normally, in man-to-man coverage, the corner comes over uh, to the other side, and so you have two corners on the same side guard, and the wide receivers in man-to-man coverage. In this situation, the Chiefs played man-to-man coverage, but the corner did not come over. He st- he stayed uh, to the to the quarterback's right side because Tyrone Matthew uh, can play man-to-man coverage. At least they thought he could well enough. Uh, I think I don't know if it was BC on the inside or Treadwell, but he they thought he could match up well enough in man-to-man coverage. So you got a guy who can tackle, got a guy who can sort of play in the box almost as a linebacker, can play middle of the field, but can also guard a a, a receiver in man-to-man coverage with defenses don't like to do with, with their safeties if possible. And then a lot of times screens versus man-to-man coverage are bad because the guy is just sitting there waiting you know, on, on, the, on the tight end. And that's what uh, Sorensen did yesterday. So um, it, he, he, he plays a role that when you have a guy like that, uh, you can do other things with your defense to sort of help you cheat. And so they, they, they played well yesterday. The Vikings didn't play really well either, but the – I do think the Chiefs, the Chiefs did, uh, you know, d- do a lot of good things. In particular, the the middle of that defense was was outstanding yesterday. So just called this up, Chris Jones, who was coming back uh, from injury. He had been out a little bit for the Chiefs. He got seven pressures and three run stuffs on the day in only forty five snaps. Yeah, I mean a, that is a, heck of a, day. a monstrous, monstrous performance against a Vikings offensive line that cannot handle any beast inside, and it has just been true for. I don't know how long now. I mean, even when they were better in 2017, it was still a weakness when they would face someone like Cam Hayward and he would blow through Nick Easton and get into the backfield or when they faced Fletcher Cox in the NFC Championship Akeem game. Hicks is a tough guy, a tough guy on the inside. Yep. 
uh, yep. from, from Chicago. Yeah, that that is the, that is a weakness right now, a, a big weakness in this Vikings offense, and it was exposed uh, on Sunday. And again, you know, something that they're going to have to try to figure out. You know, I don't know how you help those guys or do certain things, but uh, you know, everyone has to play better. You know, you're always going to have weaknesses on your team and, and weak spots, and that's just the way the NFL goes. But you know, we, we talked. You t- you brought up earlier about you know, run game play action bootleg you know those types of things you know the play action game yesterday sometimes the deep stuff's not always open teams play their safeties really deep they play things deep to short keep the ball in front of them you know the linebackers play it soft and those checkdowns you know those three four checkdowns that were missed in the flat those are huge a lot of times those are on second down and 10 uh if you hit it you got maybe five six yards changes third down a lot now we're in third and 10 and we all know how bad the vikings are in those really third and long situations and so you know the quarterback has to play better too uh and hit those guys when you're when 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 they're open that you know those those incompletions are really unacceptable Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels here on Purple Daily every Monday and Wednesday from 2 to 3. And if you missed any of the show, make sure you go to Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Just type in Purple Daily and you can find us or at scorenorth.com. Okay, so. Can I, can I say one thing real quick? Yes, you may. We talked earlier about when I hit you. Yes. When, uh, when Kirk slid. It's quite hard. All right, third and four. I hit you with my hat. I was stunned. All right. Um,. And he slid a yard short. Or I, did, I did nothing. I was just sitting there. A, a, the whole a, a crowd victim. sort of could. The whole crowd sort of couldn't believe it. You yeah. Know? And the I think actually straight. Kirk got up and like looked over the first down marker, and I think he even couldn't believe it. Like we all do those things. They happen. Like a bonehead thing. You, you want to go out there. You know, they tell you to slide all the time, but you know that, that football is such a situational game. You have to have in your mind third and four. And when I take off, like, ooh, I'm 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 a diving for this first down, and. I've got this like sort of belief that that slide yesterday is sort of the same reason Kirk rarely brings the team back in the fourth quarter. Yes, it's like I the agree. same thing. Yes, I agree. And I don't know how how that like bleeds down to the rest. Like if I'm, uh, you know, Elfline, or if I'm uh, Stefan Diggs, or if I'm Riley Reef, and you know, everyone has to do their job. But when your quarterback slides on third and four, a yard short. Um, that like that, that that's like an injury that hurts you know what i mean like why yes. did he do that you know and then that i feel like somehow sort of bleeds to why it's not clutch at the end of the game and if that was just one bonehead mistake like in a big game on the road then you would go oh man rough one that's going to be in the blooper reel sorry bud but it's kind of a theme it's, well, it's, and, and when I played, you know, I, I, you know, my probably most famous NFL play is when I was with the Texans and I tried to go for it and got helicoptered. But I was like, I, I, I had that mentality. Uh, my mentality was always, I think it was because of the, you know, fighting to try to stay on the team or to be on the team mm-hmm. of, you know, earning the respect of the guys around me. And, and, you know, I never felt safe, <coughs> excuse me, safe sliding. I always thought somebody was going to take my head off because now I'm completely uh, unprotected. So I always, I almost always dove. And I think the guys on my team appreciated that. I yeah. think they actually said, you know what, we got a quarterback out here who, you know, and I ran some option in college actually, but, uh, the, we have, a, I have a quarterback who will, you know, put his life on the line basically or his career on the line to get that key first down. And again, it didn't happen yesterday. And I always felt that was maybe, uh, in, in my best years and the teams that, you know, the, uh, where I had the best, uh, relationship with the guys in the locker room, that type of stuff was, 
was part of that reason. And there's a look to it, there's a feel to it, where you know something is going to happen that makes no sense and is bizarre. And I compare it to when you're driving and you're sort of off in the clouds and you run a stop sign or red light and you go, what, what did I just do? Like, I would never. I'm a good driver. And that's how it feels sometimes with Kirk, where he throws it backwards to Latavius Murray. He throws it backwards the one game against the Jets. There there are plenty of times where we've seen him just do things he would never normally do. The pick six against Chicago last year was an easy read that he makes 100 times out of 100 correctly, and that time he didn't and just flung so, it. So it's 99 of 100, then. Well, this is, this is not math radio. Okay. Uh, but yes, fine. So I think it comes down to this thing <laughs> that is uncoachable. It is actually, I don't even know if you can improve on it, is this thing called awareness. Yeah. And you know who has awareness? Harrison Smith. Yeah, that's why he's always around the football. He's just so hyper-aware and instinctual. And Kirk is not super instinctual, super always aware. And the, 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 the players who are, uh, they just sort of are. And that might be developed when you're like five, six, seven years old in the backyard. You know, I don't know. I think some people have it and some people don't. And it's, it, I don't believe it's Kirk's strength. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, in a lot of situations uh, that we've seen against teams that aren't as good, those plays don't seem to be there. But then when it's the situation where the pressure is up, it's almost like he hears at that moment, what everyone says about him in those moments. And the the most famous story ever is Joe Montana asking the players in the huddle if they saw John Candy in the stands, right? And then everyone is sort of like, oh my gosh, Joe Montana is so cool in this situation that he's pointing out you know, actors in the stands to us. And who knows if that's even lore or not, but it, it's it's a quarterback thing to impact other people when you have that sort of loose and calm attitude, which Kirk does not in those situations. But that story wouldn't have been told unless everyone thought uh, Joe Montana was, like, cool already. You know what I mean? Like, that just sort of added to it. Like, man, he, he's been in so many big games, and he was cool, calm, and collected, and he brought us back in the fourth coordinate so many times. And here's this odd story mm-hmm. that sort of shows the common man how cool he actually was and how he was not overwhelmed and nervous by the situation. And, uh, it, you know, and, and I saw, by the way, Matt Moore yesterday. I've always liked the way he plays because he has what I call a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. The way he walks from the, you know, walking around the sideline to where he's on the field, he has this sort of energy he gives off that I think is sort of infectious to the guys around him. And, uh, you know, I, I always, I think, I think Drew Brees hugely has that. You know, Tom Brady is more like sort of cool, but I like those guys who have that sort of like they're just in a little bit of a hurry. Like, they sort of can't wait to get to the next play, can't wait to get to the line because they know this one's going to work. And I think that sort of adds a little bit of belief and inspiration a little bit to, like, the offensive line to the guys around you that, hey, this next play is going to work. And, you know, Matt Moore's, a, you know, mostly a backup quarterback a lot in his career, but I've always thought he played uh, uh, when he's playing good and we, when, he's, when he's really going and his teams are playing well, he sort of brings that, that uh, sense of urgency to the table, and I, and I think it is infectious on that football team. Okay, you, have, yesterday. you have one minute to give this answer, and then we have to wrap up. And if you go any longer, I'm going to hit you with a hat, okay? Here's my question. Did Steve Spagnolo and the Chiefs defense figure out anything about this Vikings offense? Like, Did they lay any sort of model for future teams? 
Well, I mean, they obviously took away Stephon Diggs. I mean, when you only have one top receiver, and they, they found a way to t- they found a way to take him away. Um, and uh, I think, but nothing that I saw special on when I again when I, when I rewatched the tape this morning, I I saw some just missed throws. I saw Diggs had a step and it was overthrown. Um, if anything, the, I think what they've exposed is the interior of the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure everyone sort of knew that before, but that was the you know that was the spot where we thought the Vikings are going to run the ball, and that's where also the spot where their pass protection problems were. So I would imagine future teams, if they have really good players on the inside, they're going to try to get one on ones by their you know by their D tackles and create one on ones on the guards or the center, or they're going to be maybe blitzing more up the middle, and so you know. Brad Bear's got to take a Mike linebacker, and you know again those those two tackles are now one on one with the guards, and they think they can win there. So you know I th- I think if you look at a, a weakness of the Vikings offense, uh, it's it's the interior of the offensive line. Okay, that was a minute and two seconds. I'll let it go. That was good. Uh, almost right on. Uh, well, so when I'm up there next, you can you, maybe I might be in Dallas this week, so you can slap me over the head with a hat. Oh, when okay, I'm all right, very good. Sage Rosenfels, as always, on with us on uh, Monday and Wednesday. You also appear on Mackie Judd with Rami on Fridays as. Well, so lots of our journeyman correspondent. Well, it was uh, fun to watch the game with you yesterday, Sage, and we'll do it again on Wednesday, man. Looking forward to our journeyman quarterback of the week of the Dallas Cowboys on Wednesday. Oh, there I'm sure it'll be a some long, good ones. long list. There are some good ones. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Sage. And we'll be right back. Judd Zolgad comes in next. More talk of are we overreacting to yesterday's close loss in Arrowhead Stadium or not? We'll continue to discuss here on Purple Daily on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Third and goal. Cousins has time. Fires. It's caught for the touchdown. B.C. Johnson on the receiving end, his second of the year. Quick snap, Cousins has time, and a lot of it fires, and it's caught by Treadwell. Inside the 40 and the 35. Again, it's a four-man rush. Cousins guns it, and it is caught. What a throw and catch by Irv Smith, Jr., the rookie tight end. Okay, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Judd Zulgad. I still smell like meat from Kansas City. How great um, is that stadium, by the way? It is. Is it not It's fun? not the easiest to get inside of sure. or get close to. Sure. And let me just say this real quick before we get into overreactions or not overreactions here to the loss yesterday by the Vikings. Is Arrowhead is outside of the city, and you have to drive. Like, there's no... You could take a train or you could take buses or anything else that like you have yep. to drive and park in these massive parking mm-hmm. lots. And what ends up happening is there's one road to the stadium and everyone gets packed and is pushed way back. Yep. And it took, we're 15 minutes away from our hotel to Arrowhead Stadium and it took an hour. I, I went mean, through the same know, so thing like the year that right. I went. Yes, okay. sir. So we end up having our... Lyft or Uber driver, whatever it was, pull up near the parking lot and we jump out in traffic and run and go, you know, that sort of thing. And then we get close to the stadium and we ask a stadium employee, which direction is the media gate? Is it left or is it right? Circular stadium. This should be very easy. And the polite person says, oh, just go to the right there. It'll be on your left. Which is where the stadium is. Like, of course it's going to be. But uh, no, it wasn't. It was actually uh, 
left and we walked the entire circumference of the stadium. So I saw every part of Arrowhead Stadium yep. and uh, I'm not complaining because it was a nice day and, and it was really cool to see the crowds. There were tons of Vikings fans there. I mean, tons. And you know what? Good for them. Yeah. Vikings fans travel really, really well now. Definitely. Definitely. And and it made for a, a great atmosphere mm-hmm. for the Vikings. I, it was weird to see that there were third downs where it was really loud and Vikings fans were making a lot of noise and they were doing scold chants and everything else. And everywhere I went, every barbecue place, and uh, we did frequent, yeah. um, there were just tons of Vikings fans everywhere. So it made for a really cool trip. It was worth it. It was great. But, of course, the Vikings did not come home with a win. And... Uh, I made a list. I just made a list of overreactions. How about we do this? Since I had Sage break them down slowly one by one, I want to just give them to you, and you tell me overreaction or no, and then you tell me which one is most interesting to you. Okay? Okay. Is it an overreaction or not to say that we should just expect Kirk Cousins in big games to be bad Kirk? It is uh, not. Okay. Uh, is it an overreaction to say the Vikings defense is just not that great? Yes. Okay. Because, yes. Is it an overreaction to say the last four weeks before this of good offensive line play, we're uh, fool's gold? Um, no, it's not. And I'll tell you why. Keep going. All right. Is it an overreaction to say that the medical staff made a mistake by putting out Thielen and they've kind of done this before and it should be a little concerning? Uh, no, because it was a bad decision. All right. Um, is it an overreaction to say the Chiefs may have figured out something about the Vikings' offense that now other teams can copy? Uh, hell no, because Spags is a very good DC. All right. It's not. Okay, which one of those sticks out to you the most? Okay, let me, uh, let me give you one quick thing and then give you the one that sticks out to me the most. The offensive line one to me is very intriguing. Because it's actually the run blocking that struggled, and that hasn't been the problem. Correct. So I'm confused by that. But the one uh, that, that you gave me, overreaction or not, that I think is worth focusing on is the defensive one. Because this is, I'll start out by saying this, this is as, if if you can consider me to be concerned, this is as concerned as, as I've been in a long time, perhaps ever since this team turned a corner under Mike Zimmer, about the pass defense. Because all last week, Matthew, we talked about number 29. Xavier Rhodes, oh my gosh, they're going to pick on Xavier Rhodes. This is going to be a real problem. And I think our conversations were warranted. And then Andy Reid's like, 29, what are you talking about? 26 is right there, too. Uh, As far as the outside corners go, it concerns me. Listen, the 91-yard touchdown run was filled with mistakes, I'm sure. And I think most of them are eminently fixable. And one unbelievable block by Mitchell Schwartz. Okay, so I'm really not. And by and by the way, there have been times before where Zimmer's defenses have been susceptible to that type of run. Okay, but they often come back and they're they're fine. Uh, the defensive one that really stops me is what are we to make of the outside corners? and the pass defense right now. I want you to guess, by Pro Football Focus's grades, where Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes rank in the NFL out of... Hang on. Is it 70-something? 79. Yeah, because you told me a couple weeks ago it's give me Give me a guess. Where they rank okay. out of 79 corners who play at least half the snaps. Oh, boy. Do a little math this there. This is a fun game. Okay. Down. Uh, Rhodes, I'm going to say, ranks 68. 
fifth. And Wayne's, I'm going to say, ranks 54th. You are in the ballpark. Trey Wayne's, as we uh, here are today, is 62nd out of 79. Okay. And Xavier Rhodes is 70th out of 79. Ooh. They are two of the NFL's worst corners. Excuse me while I back away from the microphone. This year. <laughs> And I'll give you, if that doesn't really make it hit home with you, when opposing quarterbacks have thrown at Trey Waynes, they are averaging 11.5 yards per throw, which would put you in the Hall of Fame, and a 109 quarterback rating, which would be, you know, really good. Now, when they throw against Xavier Rhodes, they are completing 84.4% of passes with a 121.5 rating, which would be... Basically, Aaron Rodgers in his best season. Okay. Not great, Judd. And here's the thing. I don't know how to fix it because the domino effect that we talked about yesterday after the game when I was on the phone in Arrowhead that if you didn't hear it, you can check out on our Purple Podcast feed or at scorenorth.com. The domino effect of having Xavier Rhodes not be as good as he used to be is that all of a sudden you can't help Trey Waynes as much as you want to. And another part of this, and it's making the decision easy on whether to re-sign Trey Waynes, is that eventually, if you're around long enough, opposing teams will figure you out. And what opposing teams seem to have figured out about Trey Waynes is that if he's right on somebody and you throw it up in that area, your guy's probably coming down with it. He has never been very good at playing the ball, but now it seems like teams have ramped that up to 11. Like, oh, we're going to go after this guy as part of their pregame scout. And I can't help but wonder, with Holton Hill back and Mike Hughes in the mix, if we see both of these guys start the whole rest of the way or not, Mike Zimmer is a very loyal person. These are his starters. But they are hurting the Vikings right now, and they rank... 19th in opposing quarterback against as a defense, which is only slightly better than the Detroit Lions. So to backtrack, what what is so the the Tyreek Hill 40 yard touchdown catch a year ago? If I'm to follow what you're saying logically, a year ago Harrison Smith easily helps Trey Waynes because they're not concerned about Rhodes. Is that correct? But because there is concern about Rhodes now, he. He still tried to help, but he was clearly too late. I mean, sort of uh, that so- fundamentally speaking, yes. Like okay. I don't know about that specific. Play, no, but I'm saying that's the yes. type of that's the type of play that yes. got broken up a year ago, yes. and you're like, oh, nice play, Trey Waynes. Harrison Smith helped out. That that's what Harrison Smith does, and therefore, what became a 40 yard touchdown, which was an incredible play, an incredible catch falls as an incomplete pass, and we just assume that Trey Waynes has done his job. That's, that's the type of play I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. Uh, and so that's part number one. Um, part number two is that when you don't have interior pressure, the same type as you have in the past with Tom Johnson or Sheldon Richardson, that that gives opposing quarterbacks an opportunity to step up in the pocket. And I think they've had that this year, whereas in the past they haven't. And there has been no real answer to that B-Rob type position on third down. Remember when they used to have B-Rob oh, yeah. line up standing up? Yeah. And Zimmer has done it pretty effectively with blitzes a lot of times on third downs, and that's Harrison Smith's big sack. But at the same time, if you are got to rush four because of the situation, maybe they're spreading you out or something, then they just haven't gotten home up the middle, and that leaves opposing quarterbacks to be able to step up and complete passes. And that's a lot of what we've seen. And these issues, in my mind, Judd, and this is why I do not think it's an overreaction. These issues are just not solvable. I, I don't know how to solve them. Mike Zimmer can do 
whatever he, magic and voodoo he can to mix things up. But it personnel is the biggest thing. It's the biggest thing that determines how good you are is how good your players are. Mm-hmm. We've seen plenty of coaches, how about Matt Nagy, for example, look pretty smart when his defensive players are amazing. Right. right? And, uh, you know, when Khalil Mack is sacking people and Eddie Jackson's picking off passes, he's like, yep, I'm a great head coach. And uh, with Zimmer, I believe he's one of the best at scheming. But I don't think you can overcome two corners who are playing this poorly to be able to count on your defense. Like yesterday, I saw some people freaking out about the defense, and they gave up 26 points. But this is what you have, I think. This is what you have as a defense is you will give up 26 points. And sometimes you have to overcome that as an offense to win. That is not what we've talked about in the Zimmer era ever. It's been, can you just do enough on offense to get 16 points and win 16 to 6? Like, Can you do that? And I think there's been a change here. Yeah. Now, here's my question, too, though, is is now the time, and we have certainly done this previously, but now more so than ever, is this the time that we do look back uh, to the summer and look at, at salary cap decisions, which, by the way, I'm sure were very tough, and say that because of how they, they, who they brought back and how they spent that cash, that they essentially ignored areas that if they had paid attention to personnel-wise could have made a difference right now. And, and now the one thing I will say in their defense is I don't think anyone w- would have expected that Rhodes had to be cut. I didn't. I thought he was declining. But traded. I didn't, yes, but, well, and here's the second question, too. If 2019, Matthew, remains an all-in year, so, you know, you've got Cousins in, in year two, a coach and GM who, if things go sideways still, could be in trouble, is the is the lack of going after a cornerback, i.e. Jalen Ramsey, a guy like that, who, by the way, in this defense would make a world of difference right now. Like, it would completely change things. 100% it would. Is that a negligence uh, considering where you think you're at, where you're supposed to be at, and what we might find out in a few more games is the reality is you were nowhere close to that. Well, uh, let let me go point by point because you're talking about the you know, the spending yeah. in, in the off season, and you would could say, well, they didn't have any cap space, but they took that cap space and they gave it to Anthony Barr, and I'll give you a number on him in just a minute. Okay. And they were unable to spend on a, a three technique defensive tackle like Sheldon Richardson. Shamar Stefan they brought back and talked about how much they like him, and that's great, but he ranks 60th out of 70 defensive tackles. Not great. Right. And and so when you spend all your money on maybe a position that you shouldn't have or a player that you shouldn't have, I think that's worth that's worth questioning to say, well, you could have come up with uh, some more cap space or maybe you should have allocated it differently. And right now, just going off pro football focus grades, Anthony Barr is 28th out of 57, which is okay. It's not a disaster. He's got a couple of sacks, quarterback pressures. He is pressuring the quarterback at a very good rate when he rushes, as per always. He's the same linebacker he's always been. And that's in the middle of the league with a a really nice skill set, but he's not ever at the top of the league since 2015, and they gave him the type of cash that you give to someone who is at the top of the league. Mm -hmm. With Xavier Rhodes, if there was an opportunity this offseason to trade Xavier Rhodes... For a fifth round pick, 
if you were really looking forward, and this is where Mike Zimmer's loyalty can sometimes get in the way, I think. If you're really looking forward and you're saying, what are my odds? Roll my dice here. What are these weighted? What are the percentages? If you were one of those cold, callous baseball teams that's like, we only judge things by Belichick. this percentage, that percentage. Right. Belichick would have gotten rid of you. What was the percentage chance, after seeing him in minicamp, say, that he would be great again? What was the percentage chance that he would be much worse than last year or or the same? Right. And the percentage chance is 80% that he wasn't going to get better Later in his career, it gets late early when you're a big corner, when you're 29, all of a sudden it's late in your career. Darrell Revis, by this age, was no longer the elite shutdown island corner that he was early in his career. Mm -hmm. Like Even that's the guy who was the best because you're bigger and it's tougher. Mm -hmm. Someone like Daryl Green, like a smaller guy, or Terrence Newman, that's a little easier, I think, to have a longer career. Um, But that was a bad bet to not dump that off on someone. Trey Waynes, there were offers for Trey Waynes this offseason. Courtney Cronin reported that. And Waynes has been an average corner at best for most of his career. They didn't take any of those offers. They re-signed Kyle Rudolph, who did what he's supposed to do yesterday, caught a touchdown pass and a good drive, right. but largely has not lived up to what he's being paid to stay around. And those are the decisions that throughout the offseason we had a lot of fun talking about, and it's fascinating. And a lot of them I said, yeah, you have to bring back Kyle Rudolph. Yeah, Barr is really important to this defense. But the results have been, well, maybe the allocation of those few resources that you had didn't go in the right directions. And so that's kind of the overarching, if we're going to ask, what would you question about how they approach things? Could they have done this? Could they have done that? Could we talked about Barr, though. Yeah, we did. In a fairness lot. to us, a we lot. talked about that. Because that seemed to, to be, he was gone. And I really think that they're, they're ordinarily with some teams would have probably been a discussion of, okay, he's just gone. And then when he called up, you say, Anthony, I'm sorry, you're gone. But you know what? Let's play a quick game here called If, if Mike Were Bill. All right? If Mike Were Bill. When Mike sat down with Cronin and I think somebody else at the league meetings in March, and if you recall all those quotes about, and, and people thought that, that he was slamming Rhodes, but he talked about how Rhodes hadn't played great in 2018 and I'm going to fix him, which to me was very much Mike saying, this is my guy, I can fix him, I can do it. If Mike were Bill, Bill would have talked him up, said, yeah, you know, I still think he's got a lot left, he's fine, and tried to trade him. It is the history of Bill Belichick and Bill Walsh to some extent. I remember um, Randy Cross told the story about Bill Walsh where Walsh walked up to him sort of later in his career and said, uh, you're not going to be here in a couple of years. <laughs> and he's like, what? What did you say to me? I'm, I'm one of your great players. Like, I, we won Super Bowls. And Walsh was like, no, man, sorry. Like, that's just not going to happen because you're getting older. Yeah. And he did it with Ronnie Lott, with Roger Craig. Yeah. With I mean, they tore that team apart, and all those guys went to other places and finished out their careers, and some were good and some weren't. Um, but that theory of using the best years and then moving along seems to be something that the Vikings – haven't really like embraced as the Patriots have. And I, I think it comes from, in part, the head coach makes a lot of the personnel decisions. I think that's very clear. That when he drafted a guy with the, what was it, ninth pick for Anthony Barr, or whichever it was. Eight or nine. Uh, yeah. And it's a top draft pick, and it's his first draft, and Barr is really good. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it. He's really good. But when you're comparing, in a, in a very tight circumstances, the dollars to the impact, 
Like, okay, is this going to give me bang for my buck, or could Eric Wilson do this? Eric Wilson could do this, probably, or some version of it. Right. And it's not going to hurt your defense very much, but what is hurting your defense is that you have two corners that you could have... Wayne's fall-off is a little less foreseeable, but you should foresee the effect of how one will impact the other. If you are able to replace on one side, you're probably talking about having a better pass defense at this point. But this thing of, we're going to ride with Rhodes, we're going to ride or die with him... Well, it's been on the die side too many times this right. year. This is true. And it, it started what? Last last year against the, the Rams, you said? That's the problem is this was this has been coming too. If this had just started I don't know, let's take a pick of, of a game. If this had started four weeks into this year, I'd say, Oh man, this is difficult to watch and it's tough. But you did see it, it coming and so but I just I don't recall a time since Mike essentially got the personnel in place that Mike wanted, which would have been circa 2015 or 16. And I don't recall a time that I've thought this past defense is really not that good. Mm -hmm. Like they are really struggling. And by the numbers, they're 19th in passer rating against, which certainly does not point to a super effective pass defense. And they were able to get after Matt Moore a number of times, but they didn't get great interior pressure. And he was able to step up a number of times as well. And make throws and get the ball downfield when he needed to get the ball downfield. I mean, these are things that we expected not to happen with this defense. But even with Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter playing great, which mm-hmm. Hunter, no surprise against Mitchell Schwartz, had his worst game of the year. Um, but uh, I just love watching Mitchell Schwartz. He's an incredibly good right tackle. Uh, but aside from that, I mean, those guys have been unbelievable this year. And Eric Hendricks is rated number one in the entire NFL by Pro Football Focus. He's been marvelous. He's been phenomenal. Harrison yes. Smith made plays yesterday. He's been great. Anthony Harris had the worst play of his career uh, yesterday. But that's, you know, one-on-one in that much space with a running back it happens. But overall, he's been good. Mm-hmm. It's just that in the NFL, and Pro Football Focus studied this in the offseason, the corners and their impact on how good your defense is as a whole have the highest impact, even more than the edge rushers. The edge rushers are sort of like a feature, but shouldn't be the entire thing you build around. And the Chiefs defense last year is a great evidence of that. They had one of the top pass rushers in the NFL in D Ford, and they said, you know what, we've got to get better in the secondary and get Tyron Matthew, who played really well yesterday. We've because they had a horrible pass defense, even though they had a great pass rusher. Usually opposing teams can overcome just a good pass rush if you're not covering people. And the Vikings have not been covering people. And I don't know when that changes. And that's what I want to talk about with you when we come back. Mm -hmm. Judd is the schedule going forward. And how does it look now? And of course, (laughs) of course, today I am going to make Courtney pick the schedule again because it's great because one week it's nine and seven. The next week it's 11 and five. I'll tell you why I'm very concerned too. No, no, do not. Not right now. No, no, I'm going to tell you when we come back. Why I'm incredibly, oh yeah, I'm not going to do it right now. Okay. Oh no, you got, you have to wait till we pay some bills. (laughs) Okay. All right. You're just, but you're Judd, so if you say, I'm going to tell you why I'm concerned, it's like, well, that's not really a tease. That's just Judd. No, but there's something that really does. It's not It's not going to keep me up tonight, but it kept me up part of last night. Okay. All right. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the schedule and how we view it now for the Vikings as we go forward here. They're 6-3 and three after a loss to Kansas City yesterday. We'll be right back here on Purple Daily. Still one here for big game. Oh, look at this. Damian Williams. Kick is up, and it is 
is good! 54 from Bucker, and we're all tied again. Harrison Bucker trying to be the hero. All right, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar along with Judd Zolgad for the rest of the hour. And then it's Mackie and Judd with Rami as Judd is just on the radio station 24-7 after a Vikings big loss. PJ Fleck, I believe, at 4.30, Matthew. Oh, really? Good for you. Yes. Um, All Judd all the time. (laughs) And a big big game, though, for the Gophers. And we will talk a little bit about that later on this week. Uh, Playing Penn State. It's going to be very cool. No game day, but that's all right. Um, Here's what we got. (laughs) Mm-hmm. We got Dallas this week, mm-hmm. and then Denver, and mm-hmm. then the bye, and then Seattle, Detroit, Los Angeles, Green Bay, Chicago. Now, let me tell you, the glasses that you put on to look through these, they changed this weekend, and I will tell you why. I've got my newspaper out, too. Denver upgraded a quarterback. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. You know what? Yep. Yeah, I think you might be right. And their yeah. defense is actually good. Okay. Obviously, Dallas is going to be tough and has playmakers and one of the best running backs in the league and a good receiver and a good defense. Mm-hmm. So that we know that's going to be tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russell Wilson is the best quarterback in the NFL this year, I think. MVP um, right now, yeah. Five touchdowns yesterday. Yes. Even though Detroit lost, Matt Stafford is still playing some good football. But that one is probably the easiest. But Los Angeles. Yeah. A, a victory that I called for the Chargers on this very show on Friday. You did? Yes. And let's not ever talk about games that I pick wrong. Uh, but wait, wait, why? What what made you do that? Myron got upset because I said, "Look, um, well, he's from the I, I think I think this is a bit of a trap game for Green Bay, and it's sort of classic for the Chargers to stink in the first half of the year, and everyone just forgets about them entirely. And then you look at the end of the season, you're like, "Wait, the Chargers made the playoffs? How? I thought they were like one in five. Philip Rivers is seventy four years it, it old. Is, it is the most Chargers thing ever. The way that the Chargers played a couple of weeks ago in a very tough win against Chicago, their defense was really good, and they create so much pressure up there. That to me is no longer a easy game. Oh yeah, they'll run right through Los Angeles. It's a good quarterback. And it's a good defensive line. It should worry you a little. And then Green Bay and Chicago, which may have a different coach by Week 17 if it continues to go this way for Matt Nagy. I don't know. How how do you look at this now? After the loss to Kansas City. Yeah, I thought about this today. uh, uh, Let me just ask you a few questions. Number one. Okay. Okay. How many of these do you need to win to be in the playoffs or win the NFC North? How many do you need to win? How many do you need to win? So you need to get to what at least ten wins, ten wins, get you in because the conference. You tell is, me. Yeah, I think you need. I think you that's need to, the question. I think that you is need literally to, the question. I think you need to win. <laughs> it, it was a rhetorical response. I think you need to win four games, but I need to see more. See, here's my here's my question back to you. Then off that is, we're nine games in, and what worries me about this Vikings team is, I can't tell you what I make of them. They start four games in. It feels like they're two and five. It feels like the world is collapsing after Chicago. So then they spend a month convincing me against what I consider to be bad to mediocre football teams. Hey, we're pretty damn good. And so I go into Kansas City saying, okay, just show me now. Show me one thing. And then you go into KC. And as far as I'm concerned, pull what to me feels like almost a repeat of week two in Green Bay, which is 
tough game, winnable game, the type of game that a good team gets on the bus to go to the airport and says, oh boy, did we pull that one out. But in both cases, you lost. Yeah. So do I Do I feel like this is nine games in, like this is a really competitive team right now? I can't say yes. No, I don't. I feel like you could beat bad teams, but okay, congratulations. That's where it gets a little more challenging for me to say... Well, how many did they need to win? It probably is four, but it might be five. Okay. Judging by the number of L's that bad teams are taking and racking up, I mean, something balances that out, right? The win's on the other side for the great teams, and if you have teams going 11-5 and who may have beaten you head-to-head or whatever it might be, um, and you don't win the division, you could get left out of the party. I look at it as a seven-team race, and you don't want to be the one left without a chair. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe it's Carolina, who I started to write off after they got murdered by San Francisco, and then they get a big win yesterday. I don't even know where they're at, but all of a sudden, oh my, Carolina is right there well, in the race as well. So I guess it's more of an eight-team race. But what tells you, from from what you've seen now through nine games, what gives you any indication that they actually belong at that party? Because that's where I say nothing. Well, it's the fact that they've taken care of business on their schedule so far would put them in the party. But the taking care of business part is sort of less obvious. I mean, it's obvious when you play Washington. Just don't mess it up. Right. It's obvious when you play Atlanta. We didn't think it was then, but it is now. The, like, Just don't screw it up. The Giants. Giants, don't screw it up. Like That's one of the worst teams in the NFL. You're way better than them. It's not even close. Just run them out of the building, come back home. And that's what they did in those games. They won a semi-tough game against Detroit, but the bigger picture on Detroit doesn't look so good. Correct. Right? They look like a very mediocre team. Correct. And the bigger picture on Philadelphia probably is the same, that they're just a, a mediocre team. Um, that got a win yesterday against a bad Chicago team that you lost to. And that, yeah, that's where it becomes difficult to figure out. But when you go even to the second half of the schedule, I think it's more muddy of who those take care of business games are. Detroit at home, Matt Stafford is two and one against the Vikings at U.S. Bank Stadium. So I don't look at that as, oh, you know, just take care of the Lions. It's a division game. You never say that. Even if they don't have a great record, they're going to try to bring it. Mm-hmm. At Den- uh, Denver at home, is a probably take care of business game, but Vic Fangio is their coach, and he was the coach of the Chicago Bears last year that shut down Kirk Cousins in two different games, and all of a sudden they look like they have a quarterback who can execute their offense a little better. And so that all of a sudden doesn't look like it's the super easiest game home against Denver. I don't know if there is a game on this schedule where we go, eh, easy enough. Like there were four on the first half schedule. If you want me to take you seriously and you're the Vikings, in my opinion, you need to win your next three games, which is a very tall task. But if you want me to take you seriously and say you are in the conversation right now with San Francisco and the Saints, which I consider right now to be the elite teams in this conference. Are are they in that conversation after yesterday? No, they're not right now. But what I'm saying is if you win the next three, I'll change my mind. I see. Okay, yeah. But if you go into Dallas and you lose again, now you're on a two-game skid, and then you beat the Broncos, who, by the way, you should beat. I I get that, that they might have upgraded a quarterback, and the defense is good, but you're at home. Yep. Uh, but then, if you want me to say, oh, okay, you know what? Niners, Saints, Vikings. I need you to beat Dallas and Dallas in prime time, <clears throat> which Kirk has problems with. I need you to beat Denver at home, which you should do. 
and then I need you to come back from the bye week, go into Seattle, play Russell Wilson on a Monday night, and beat them. If you want me to include you now. They might need that just to be in the playoffs, because you look at the race now in the NFC, and everything just got way tighter. With that Carolina win, they're now a half game behind the Vikings. Like They both have three losses, but Carolina has had their bye, so they have five wins. And they are a pretty strong overall team. They're not as good as the Vikings, and I'm not sure what to make of their quarterback yet, but they can win games. And then you have the Rams, who are 5-3. and three. Again, another team that's a half a game behind the Minnesota Vikings. And I think they're different now. Who are definitely different with Jalen Ramsey. And all of a sudden, the Philadelphia Eagles, who are not a great team and certainly don't have a good defense, but when they play Josh Allen and then Mitch Trubisky, not surprising, their defense looks better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're 5-4 and four now. And you're 6-3. and three. You lose this game against Dallas, and all of a sudden, you are dropping back into the mix of this mud of teams. Like, before, heading into this week, you had your head above water, and you are kind of looking down like, oh, it's cute that you guys are all fighting together. Exactly, yes. Good for you. Yes, uh, but exactly now, right. now, you're just <laughs> barely got your nose up above the water saying, like, well, we're still good, we're still good. And that, I mean, that's how huge that... Uh, loss ends up being, and yep. especially if they can't come out of Dallas with a win, I think they really need to. I think you're right. They really need to just for the race because so many teams are out of it. Being six and three doesn't mean you're necessarily in the driver's seat when you have teams that are one and seven, two and six, and just one and eight. Six these win- awful teams. Six wins. Six wins. Tell me as you go through the nine games they played, of those six wins, how many do you say, oh, wow, really nice victory? Of the final schedule for the Vikings? No, no, I'm or saying. What do you mean? I'm saying oh, right mean now they've got so six, far. Right now oh, okay. they they've got six yeah, wins. Gotcha. Which ones do you say? All right, if if this was the NCAA hmm. basketball tournament, right? right yeah, and yeah, a quality yeah, wins, meetings. quality wins. Which ones are quality wins where you're impressed? See, I'm going to have to ask to set like what the qualifications is for a quality win because when you, I think they could be Matthew Collars. I'll I'll say this. I would give them. I think Detroit. You went into Detroit. Detroit's slinking back, but you know what? Let's just say they're not awful, okay? I'll give you Detroit. Detroit is 3-4-1. and one. I understand yeah. that, but I'll give you Detroit. I'm giving you that. They have losses That's now. all I can give they you. They have a tie against the Cardinals and a loss against I the underst- Raiders. I understand that, but look, Atlanta now, does that impress you? I don't care what Oakland's record is. All I know is the team, the game that we went to, the opponent that day was horse bleep, okay? I'm not giving you Oakland. I don't care what they're doing now. Yeah, at, on that they day, were a joke. they did not they show up. They were a joke yep, They've improved, day. but they did not show Washington up. Washington is a mess, a hot mess, and that's all they are. Uh, the Giants are a complete mess. I'm trying to give you one. I think Philly and Detroit are the same caliber. Okay. Like, they're the same caliber of, uh, let's do it this way. Like, you would have... Like uh yellow, orange, red or something, right? Like a like a light blue is your cold win, which is against Washington and, and New York. So those don't even register. Atlanta too now. And Atlanta, yes. So that's three Atlanta's wins that are in the blue. blue. They don't even they don't okay. even get into the yellow or red. And then you have That's a D two opponent. Yeah. Oh the win against Oakland because of how Oakland played that day is still a blue win, even if Oakland's a five hundred team. Correct. I think you get into the yellow-orange with Philly because of the way you did it. Okay. Like, Carson Wentz was playing well that day, and you smoked him. Okay. And against Detroit, Matthew Stafford was playing well that day, 
and you ultimately smoke them by 12 points and score 42. On the road. Those are both, those are both yellowish orange wins. But if we're looking for the red, I think it's probably Dallas, Seattle, and Green Bay are your, those would be red alert. This team's for real type of wins. Mm-hmm. And how many of those do we think he's, they're going to win right I mean, now. Well, that's why, I've rethought that right now. That's why it's tough because you've got prime time, prime time, prime time yes. for those games. Yes, and all of a sudden we have gone into this mode with Kirk Cousins where we can sort of predict: Is it going to go bad, Kirk? Is it going to go good, Kirk? How Is about, it going to be anxious or not? How and about prime time increases Russell, those chances? Russell versus this past defense right now. What are they going to do to change that? The only thing you can hope. For some of these games, because the pass defense is not what it used to be, and that goes for Green Bay on December 23rd as well, is that the offense shows up and does what it's capable of doing, which is it's capable of being very, very good. Will it be very, very good against Dallas? Will it be very good against Seattle? Which, I mean, even Tampa Bay put up a lot of points against Seattle. Mm-hmm. But it's Russell Wilson just, still just, beats him at the end at home. That's how he operates. It's also just hard to say when we've got this big body of work of not being able to do it. Like having the ball in your hands with two different drives to win the game and not having it happen. I mean, that's... Uh, <laughs> and after it has so many times happened... I would normally be the person to be like, look, this is the ultimate small sample size sport, and somebody doesn't come through with a couple of game-winning drives, that's how it goes, like, he'll probably do it later. This was Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning just too good to keep choking in the playoffs against the Patriots, and eventually he'll win and get to the Super Bowl and do it, and he did, because he's Peyton Manning, and those were great teams. With this one... Since it's been the reputation of the quarterback for quite some time, and the defense is no longer what it used to be, that becomes much, much less predictable. Like, if you told me they won five out of these final games, and they beat Dallas, they beat Seattle, I'd be like, I'm not super stunned by that because of the amount of talent that's on the team, and I think they have the right system, not so much do you, yesterday. Do you know why I, I would be surprised? Because... I firmly believe the mental makeup of this team doesn't have the intestinal fortitude mm. to do it. Yesterday, Matthew, yesterday in Green Bay, those are wins, those are wins that talent, yes, plays a role in. But they're also really difficult environments in which mentally tough teams go in there and grind it out and it's ugly. Mm-hmm. You you go away from that game and be like, "Oh, how did you win that game?" But you do. And in both cases, when when it got down to and by the way, not getting blown out. In fact, fourth quarter yesterday, you got the lead. And you got an opportunity to, if not put your foot on their throat, certainly silence them. Yeah. And you just sort of fold. You just sort of go away. First and goal from the eight in Green Bay. You just sort of fold. This is my problem. I, I'm with you on the. I think there's talent on this team. Yeah. But what did 17, what did that team have? They also had this bleep it. We're going to win this thing. And we really don't care. And they had cornerbacks who all played Absolutely. really well that year. Absolutely I mean, true. Terrence Newman was still great in the slot. Xavier's in his prime. Trey Waynes is getting help, but he's also good that year. Very true. And that is where I, it, it makes it harder to predict what they're going to be able to do. And I think you're just going to have to win with offense more often, which they are, again, capable of with the running back they have and the receivers they have and the quarterback What happened they to have. the run deep or run uh, blocking? Oh, there's a guy and his name is Christopher Jones, and he is a 
freaking beast. He came back after what, three games, he right? He unreal. He mauled them. I, I look forward to looking at the coach's copy of the tape to see exactly. But I was watching him and the interior of that uh, defensive line for the Chiefs. This guy is a great player. And he doesn't get talked about a whole lot. But it's been the truth about this team. When you play Green Bay, what do they have? They have Kenny Clark. And even without Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman is a monster for Chicago. Interior pressure gets Cousins off his game repeatedly. And we saw that again yesterday. But the case for five wins over these final games, Judd, you can make it pretty easily with, look, they lost by five in the first game they lost. They lost by ten in the second one and three in the third one. Mm -hmm. All close losses, all where you were right there. Maybe you don't get an illegal center downfield and you win. Maybe you don't slightly overthrow Stephon Diggs on that bomb and you win. They were so close to wins in Green Bay and in Kansas City, and even in Chicago, you lose by 10 points. You're so close to wins in those two games that it's hard for me to sit here and say, oh, man, no chance. No chance they're going to Dallas. Like I think there's a really good chance they go to Dallas and win, especially when Dallas has the short week having to play tonight and then right. to play next Sunday. And Denver, you should take care of them. And Seattle has no defense. And Detroit is going to have to come to your house. And Los Angeles isn't that good. And Chicago is all but given up on their coach. And, like, like you can make a really good case for it mm-hmm. uh, for either way. And so, I mean, as the answer always is in sports, we'll see what happens. But um, I am having a really tough time predicting where this is going to go because I, I don't think anybody woke up today saying, well, I trust that the next time they play a big game, this won't happen. Because yep. it's happened to this team since 2017 and really since the NFC Championship. Every chance they've gotten... To make that wrong right with big game wins, they right. just haven't made it happen. And I, I think there's a difference between getting to the playoffs and, and having the fan base and, and the outside football world say, that's a playoff team that I take seriously. Well, and So I think you're right about the, they could get there, but I need three consecutive wins now to say, okay, now you're back in, in a conversation that involves, in your conference, very few teams. To me, it's yeah. two teams. Yeah, and, well, and to me, your chances rest on U.S. Bank Stadium. I don't think you can go to these other places. No. I don't think you can go to San Fran. No. I don't, definitely don't think you're going to New Orleans and beating Drew Brees. If they win the division, if they get a game at U.S. Bank Stadium, you've got a shot. If yep. you don't, then you're probably talking about a fairly short playoff run. Um, Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad, I need to turbo snark about something, and if you don't know what it is, then you're a new listener. We'll be right back. It's Purple Daily on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download. You can download the Score North mobile app and make sure you register for listening rewards. This month, one lucky app user will win a $200 Visa gift card just for having the mobile app. Just download download the app, register the app, and enter through listening rewards. Adam Thielen made his return to the Vikings lineup yesterday, although very briefly as he went out after about seven plays and then didn't return Asked after the game, Kirk Cousins said this on missing Thielen. Yeah, you know, not ideal, but you look at their sideline and they're missing people. And you understand at this point in the season, uh, you have to respond when you face adversity. And and, uh, we're probably healthier than many teams. And so uh, you have to find a way to to, uh, still get the job done. That's been your Score North Download. Now back to Purple Daily. Are you ready? You ready, Jonathan? Mm Mm-hmm. You? Cue it up. Let's go. Alright, time to turbo snark. I need this. So last night, get back to the hotel room, stuff my face with more barbecue in Kansas City, turn on the game, click, 
What do I see? I see Lamar Jackson. And I see him taking on the New England Patriots. And I see the score. And I think, no, it can't be. I think maybe my contacts got barbecue sauce on them. (laughs) What has happened? So I rub the dry rub out of my eyes. And no, it was real. That was the score of Baltimore against New England and watched the second half of the game. And I thought, well, Tom Brady will just bring him back. And right? I mean, he's going to beat Baltimore. But no, no, Lamar Jackson would not allow it as he continued to play like a borderline MVP quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens and not, weirdly, an MVP wide receiver. Why was he not at wide receiver last night, guys? I thought he should have been a receiver. Booger McFarlane in 2017 said that Louisville, if they really cared about his draft status, would move him to receiver. Mm -hmm. And at the combine, teams tried to get him to work out as a running back and a receiver, despite the fact the man never played that position ever. And allow me, because we're fair with our old takes exposed here, and this is where you deserve to get exposed. When your take is so ridiculous and absurd and in some ways racist, then, yeah, you deserve to have that pinned up on you forever well here's my tweet from march 15th 2018 responding to someone about lamar jackson me quoting me this is turbo snark okay i think lamar jackson's passing shortcomings are overstated he struggles with certain routes but others he's fantastic he has a mind for the game understands progressions and reads and he is a great leader that was me advocating on twitter for lamar jackson and then i scroll up searching myself And what I said about Lamar Jackson, I said, well, what's this? What's this tweet? Fiddled around. This is from February 27, 2018. Fiddled around with the idea of the Vikings paying attention to Lamar Jackson throughout the draft process. Did they have a chance to take Lamar Jackson? I don't remember, guys. I don't remember. But if they did, well, we'd feel pretty good about that today because he is a really good NFL quarterback. He's an exciting player. He is a great leader for an organization that wins all the time, and they found a great way to use Lamar Jackson. It was totally foreseeable if you watched him freaking play at Louisville, and you didn't just judge him on some highlight reel runs and assume because he's a good runner, he can't be a passer. So... Middle fingers to everybody who wanted Lamar Jackson as a wide receiver. You're bad at this. Stop trying to analyze the draft if that was your take. That's Turbo Snark. Good. All right. There's no outro? No, that's just it. Feels like there should be an outro. I just yell for a little while. Feels like it should have some type of. And and, and there's no there's no responsibility here. Like you could be as insulting and whatever as possible. Uh, If something turns back the other direction, if Lamar Jackson is bad for the second half of the season, I don't care. He's already proven that he is a quarterback in the NFL. And here's another point off this, Judd. I can't help but thinking about it when Deshaun Watson makes amazing plays and Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson. What Bears? Well, of course, of course, what the Bears did. Mm -hmm. But the Minnesota Vikings had Pat Elfline's butt commit a sack yesterday because Kirk Cousins could not run away from pressure coming up the middle. Correct. And the way I'm thinking of it now is, like, imagine in baseball, everybody in the league realizes they have an analytics discovery. Click, 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 click. They figure out, oh, my gosh. Third base, if you have a great defensive third baseman, he's an athlete, and he can like run down balls at third base and play semi-shortstop and the shift and everything, there's massive value in this third baseman. He'll get way more wins because we figured that out. Mm-hmm. 
And then you had a third baseman who couldn't move. Not that the Twins would know anything about this. But let's just say you have a third baseman who can't move and just falls down when the ball's near him. Then you are now losing more value than you were in the past because the league shifted in a different direction. I think that is somewhat of the case of the Minnesota Vikings. That by not having an athlete at that position, when offensive lines are more outmatched than they've ever been yeah. versus defensive lines, yep. you, you are more behind in value in comparison to the Seahawks, the Texans, the Ravens, than you ever would have expected to be because you don't have an athlete at that position. And now most of the league's best quarterbacks are great athletes. Yep. And even I, I saw uh, Collinsworth highlighted this on the game last night, Brady's ability to sense pressure and just subtly slide and move. Cousins doesn't have that. He just doesn't. And he never will. That's a God-given ability. So he's slow. Brady's slow, but because he senses the pressure and can slide himself just subtly around, yeah. you know, he's yep. he's great. So and he's yeah. also massive. He's like six foot yeah, five. Yeah, but I mean, Kirk won't have that. Throw, he could throw over pressure and things like that, and he senses it. He knows where it's coming from. He's, he's on a different planet from everybody else, and the same way goes for Drew Brees with accuracy and anticipation and those things. But most, am, most of the league's best quarterbacks, if you name now like the top 10 or 15, how many are great athletes? Yeah, two thirds. Two thirds are absolutely higher, almost all. Oh, and Deshaun Watson, a guy like that, is so much fun to watch. He's tremendous. Gets kicked in the face, gets kicked in the eye, and throws a touchdown pass. But sure, you know what? Let's pick Baker Mayfield, who talks all the bleep to reporters, and this is the dumbest question ever. Have you ever even played? You've hey, seen a football, you know and then job you go I want? and lose to the Broncos. You know whose job I want? The Bears GM's job. That's who I want. Yeah, I, that's what I, should I want. I want his today job. too. I'd fire him. Turbo snark. Had to get some in after a six-hour drive this morning. I woke up early. Oh, is that why you're Because I care about you. That's why you're cranky. All right. Mackie and Judd with Rami. More Judd for you, if that's what you're into. Uh, we will be back here on Score North. Thanks for listening to Purple Daily. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.